promises have gone unfulfilled from the time of Abraham through the bondage in Egypt through the wandering in the wilderness through the conquest in the promised land God has proven himself worthy completely worthy of trust and all of our surrender that God does exactly what he says he will do this is what Joshua this is the testimony of Joshua as he was called to to lead his people and we thought about you know in the very beginning God told Joshua he says do not be afraid do not be terrified for you will lead these people to take possession of the land of which I have promised them and this is not a statement of God's confidence in Joshua God's not saying Joshua I believe in you Joshua I know you can do it rather this is a statement of God's promise that he will be faithful that he will enable Joshua to lead and to undertake anything that God calls him to do no matter how insurmountable the circumstances no matter what happens who he faces this is really uh, uh, the, the promise that God gives Joshua and as we come to this final message we come to a point now where Israel has settled in the land they enjoyed actually decades of peace and security and Joshua first he's gathered the um, the leaders and he spoke to them we looked at that last week and today uh, we see that Joshua now gathers the people together the entire nation in Shechem and he delivers his final message to the people and we think about Joshua and, and again Joshua um, I, I just really identify with him he starts out at this frightened kind of doubtful kind of young commander and he's suddenly put in charge of this entire nation. And, and now he's, at this point now, he's over 100 years old. And as he speaks, he can say to the people that God is faithful. That, that Joshua has faithfully completed his life journey. And now he's about to be, you know, received into the Lord. And he can say that he's done everything that God has called him to do. He's finished every task that God has given to him. And now at the end of his journey, he's, he's ready to enter into the presence of the Lord. Now, for many of us here, particularly for us who are older folks, uh, the thought of ending life well, uh, walking faithfully over a hundred years, um, that, that really resonates with us, to really think about it, to say, to be able to say, you know, if God were to let us live 100 years, and nowadays people are living longer and longer, but to, to however long we live, when we come to the end of our lives, we can say that I've completed, can we say that I've completed, you know, everything that the Lord uh, has asked me to do, that this can be our testimony to say that, that as we go home to, to be with the Lord, that, that indeed um, he is faithful. Uh, he is worthy of praise. I mean, that, that's what we want. That, that's all that we want at the end of our lives. And so as we end this series in the book of Joshua, we want to look at what it means to have a lifetime of faithfulness in the presence of God. I'd like you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 24. This is the last chapter of Joshua, uh, verse 1. Joshua chapter 24, verse 1. Let's go ahead and let's stand in reverence for God's word. And it says, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and he summoned the elders and the heads and the judges and all the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God, and Joshua said to the people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him 
through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. And I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt and, what I, and with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. And then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the, horsemen to the Red Sea. And I'm going to skip down to verse 13. It says, I gave you a land in which you have not labored, and cities which you have not built, and you dwell in them, and you eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, or those who dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of the word. You may be seated. So from this conclusion of this very optimistic point in Israel's history, we're going to learn about the connection between God's faithfulness and finishing well. The closing of, of the book of Joshua is really the closing of an era. It is a reminder and is an encouragement to all of us that, that seek to finish this race well. And it really, this, it's summed up in this one verse, in verse 15, as for me and my house, you know, we will serve the Lord. And I know that we have, sometimes some people have this plaque, they put it in their home. And perhaps after this message, this verse will take on a whole new meaning and significance for us as we think about this, uh, this powerful truth. So in verse one, we see Joshua has gathered the people in the area of Shechem. And we can see that this message that he brings is broken down into basically three sections. First of all, there's a recount of the faithfulness of God. It's kind of the reason or the ground for which the people are now to respond to God. The second thing is now the call, that God says that there's a call to be decisive about idolatry, idolatry that is in the land and perhaps even in their lives. And finally, there is a covenant, a covenant response to obedience. So let's look at the first. The foundation for life in Christ is the faithfulness of God. In verse 2 it says, and, God, and Joshua said to the people, thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel. So what this means is that now, actually in a sense, God is speaking. In fact, he uses the first person. It reverts the first person as if God is speaking to the people. And if you look at these verses, you'll notice that so many times, a God, you, you hear this word, I. He says, long ago, when your fathers lived in the Euphrates uh, and they worshipped other gods, God says, I took your father Abraham. I gave him Isaac. I gave him Jacob and Esau. I sent Moses. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt. Your, then your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. You lived in the wilderness a long time, and then God says, I brought you into the land. They fought with you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them before you. I delivered you out of their hands. I sent the hornet before you, drove them out before you, and it says, it was not by your sword or by your bow. And, and God is saying, to the Israelites now and Joshua is saying to them as well throughout your history this is your entire life now for since this whole generation since you've been born he says God has shown without a doubt that he is the true God 
18 times he uses the word I. I took, I gave, I assigned, I sent, I afflicted, I brought, I delivered. He's saying any greatness that Israel has achieved, that you have seen with your own eyes, is not by human effort, is not by you. It is by the grace of God. It is because of the grace of God that is working among you. From the first to the last of Israel's conquests, to the land that you have enjoyed for the last 10, 20 years now, all of these things uh, are because of God. He's saying everything that you have, everything that you have done, and everything that you will do is because of God's power and God's grace. And verse 13, and I love this verse, I often think about this verse, um, and it just says, I gave you a land in which you have not labored and cities that you have not built and you dwell in them now and you eat of the very fruit of vineyards and olive orchards the very things that you eat right now are, are, are things that you did not plant and, and I think of this verse and I, and I always like to fill in those blanks and God's saying to you and to me saying I gave you you know whatever it is which you have not labored for. I gave you the house in which you live, which you have not labored for. I gave you uh, the job that you have, which you had not built. I gave you the, the family and, and, and the goodness and, and the enjoyment of life right now, which, which you did not labor for. That you enjoy the fruit of you know, this and, and of that. You enjoy the fruit of, of looking forward to a, a good future. You enjoy the fruit of, of looking forward to, to going to college or, or, or moving out of the house. We say, I'm looking forward to moving out of the house, finally uh, being able to live on my own. That's a privilege. That's a blessing from God. Not everybody gets to do that. It's not a right. It's not what we deserve that we're saying, hey, you know, every child that we're looking forward to that day when I can move out of the house someday. That's a privilege. That's a gift. That's a gift from God. It's the fruit of, 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 of freedom that we did not plant that we do not deserve. We say, I look forward to retirement someday. That's a gift, that's a freedom. Some people have to work their entire lives, they scrap and, and, and do everything until they die. And we say, well, I'm looking forward to retirement and I'm gonna save up that money from the job that God gave me to a day when I can find rest and, and enjoy life. I enjoy the fruit of, of summer because I can take time off and go on vacation with my family. But this is the fruit that I did not plant. All these things, our, our, our job, family, security, education, our home, this is the fruit uh, and, and accomplishment that, that is not, it's not of ours, uh, but God reminds us that it is because of the faithfulness of God that, 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 that God has provided all these things. The other thing that this reminds us of is the idea that all other gods are worthless. And that's, that's the other thing that's, that Joshua is, is emphasizing here. That, 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 that God is, he keeps saying, God says, I've done all these things, I've done all these things, I've done all these things. He doesn't say, I did all these things and the God of Shemash did this. Or I did all these things and the gods of Egypt, well, they did that thing, but I did more for you. No, he's saying, I did everything. The false gods of this world did nothing, nothing for you. Those false gods that you carried out of Egypt and you bore on your back and they were heavy and they're made of wood and stone and you put them on your camels and you carried them to Canaan with you, they're nothing. 
They didn't do anything for you. They were just a burden for you. Uh, uh, the, the, the reason that we have anything is, it has nothing to do with other gods. And so what, what, what Joshua is saying in this, this passage, just in this, verse mess, this first part of the message here, is he's saying God is everything and idols are nothing. And he's saying these two truths are sufficient to say that, 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 that God is, is worth everything and that we must really turn away from the false idols of our generation. The idols that we live among, the idols that we carry, the idols that are in our homes. An author once wrote this. He said, it is impossible to understand your heart or your culture if you do not discern the counterfeit gods that influence them. And I want to speak particularly about culture. A lot of times we say a culture is defined by its values, you know, what it values. But really, for us spiritually, a culture is defined by its gods, by who they worship. That, 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 that a culture is defined by who or what they worship. And if, with the, the world in which we live in, the, the country, and even the Silicon Valley in which we live in, has gods that they worship. And it defines what the culture is. And, and we need to be careful and understand that this, and we talked about it last week, that we live among a people who worship other gods. And what are some of those gods? Um, what are the idols of our culture? Uh, some, these are some of the idols of our culture, okay? Work, many people look at work as a sense of identity, significance, and security. And that's all we do is work. And, and even when we finish work, we can't stop. And even when we retire, we can't stop. Because why? Because work becomes like an idol. It defines meaning, it defines joy, it defines purpose in our lives and it becomes an idol. Uh, success, uh, when we pursue success outside of God's will, when we think of ourselves as success, I did this, I did that, I accomplished these things, uh, our product was this, or I worked for this company, or I had this education, or I got these degrees, or I graduated, you know, whatever in my class. These are, are, are pictures of success. These are the false gods that are, are our, our society worships. Our phones, uh, do we worship our phones? Well, I mean, yeah, if we can't stop checking our phones every five minutes, and we're always looking at our phones um, all the time, uh, every time we think about it, and, and, and we're sitting there just looking at the phone, thinking about, and if we can't find anything uh, that's important, then we find things that are not important, and we look at it on our phone. And that's, you know, again, phones can become something of an idol. Image, image, you know, we have social media defining, you know, who we are, what we look like, uh, how, how we... Um, how we perceive others and how we perceive, how others perceive us. Uh, what, you know, do I look like I have the perfect life? Do I look like I have that perfect uh, Silicon Valley, um, they always say, are you the perfect Silicon Valley family? Do you both work for a tech company? Do you both have, a, you know, nice cars and do you both have uh, a huge debt or whatever? Um, <laughs> that's the image. You know, we have a house, but we're in tremendous debt, but we have a house, you know, we live in the Silicon Valley. Um, that's the image. And that image can be uh, a god, an idol. A materialism, uh, the things that we buy. Sex. Sex is, de is designed and created by God, but yet sex and, and, and physical pleasure can be an idol. Money. Uh, God's, uh, Jesus says very clearly you can't serve two masters, that money actually is a god. 
It's not just something that, uh, that we use like, uh, to, to buy things. It's not a utilitarian thing. It is actually a God that we worship. Now, the thing is, is you look at all these things, and this is not something new. We say, well, okay, Pastor Harrison, we know that these are gods. We know that people do worship these things, but, you know, I don't worship them. Um, I don't think they are, you know, we say, well, I'm not sure if it's a god for me. I, maybe, maybe I struggle with it a little bit, but to say it's an idol, how can you say it's an idol? Um, because you look at these things, and every one of them, in the right context, uh, can be good, can be a gift from God. Uh, but yet, every gift from God, Satan can also turn into an idol uh, in our hearts. And so, what's the more important question is not really just identifying these things, but really the more important question is, when do good things become idols? When does success start becoming an idol? When, when does, uh, you know, if I, I think about my work and this, this good gift of work that God has given to me, but when does it become an idol? If, if I, you know, got a, a, a lot of money, you know, I got a bonus, I got a lot of money, and, and, and I got money saved up, or, or the stock market went up, and I got lots of money now, or whatever, um, that's great, that's a gift from God, but when does it become an idol? Well, there are, are five things that, five suggestions here that, that are signs that something might be coming an idol. And uh, what is it? It's, it's the idea that enjoyment can become idolatrous when? And we look at these things, and this is, again, just asking uh, ourselves. For example, the first one, if it violates God, okay? Enjoyment can become idolatrous when it violates God's word. You know, for a very simple example is like we say, well, sex. And we say, oh, sex is a wonderful thing. It's a gift from God. Um, I really want to enjoy it. But if we enjoy it outside of marriage, it violates God's word. Clearly violates God's word. And there's no possible way we can say this is a gift from God to us if we're exercising it outside of marriage. If, if there are things that we're doing uh, at work or, or uh, on our phone or about our image that really does directly violate God's word. I mean, really, like, there's something in God's word that specifically says we're not to do these things and we're doing them. We're lying or we're cheating or we're compromising or we're, we're, we're not loving people or we're getting angry. Uh, then these things that, that were originally gifts from God suddenly can become idolatrous. Because why? Because they're beginning to control us and move us to do things that are in violation of God's word. So that's a really clear sign that you look at it and say, if I'm doing something that is clearly sinful, I need to be very careful about this particular issue in my life. What's another one? It's not filled with gratitude to God. If, if we suddenly start losing our sense of gratitude towards God, and we start thinking, oh, this is my right, I deserve this. Why can't, well, you know, why aren't I getting more of this? Then, then it can become an idol. If we say, well, my phone, I thank God for my phone. But then we start saying, oh yeah, but I have an iPhone 4. <laughs> now there's a 10, 11, 12. Man, mine's nothing now. Mine's garbage. How, I can't believe that 
Mom, nobody has this phone anymore. This is embarrassing when I bring it out and, and talk on it. Okay, it's no longer filled with gratitude towards God. And, and now, not this phone, but whatever phone you get and how you use it can begin to become an idol now. And no longer something, man, I'm so thankful, I'm so grateful that this gift of God, I'm using it, and I'm so, you know, I'm, I'm praying and thankful to God. No, 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 this is my right now. And I need better next time. And I expect better next time. When the next one comes, I'm going to get that. And, my, you know, I deserve that. And et cetera, et cetera. So when it's not, when we begin to lose that gratitude towards God and it starts becoming a right, like, I deserve this, then we can say, well, hey, this is becoming an idol. When we got a job and we say, well, God gave me this job. This is great. God gave me this job. I'm so thankful. Hey, how come I didn't get the promotion? I did so much better than that person. I deserve that promotion. And they passed me up for that guy? And he didn't do anything? Man, I hate this job. And suddenly, work becomes this idol now. And we say, no, it's no longer this gift from God that, that, that God has blessed me with. It becomes, man, I'm going to work myself my way up so that I get what I deserve. I get the recognition that I deserve. I get the money that I deserve. Uh, things like that. And we no longer see this as, 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 as something that is a gift. It's something now that becomes an, an idol. What's the third thing? Uh, it draws us away from our duties. Duties meaning the things that we know that we're supposed to be doing, the greater things that whatever it is that God is calling us to do, whether it's studying, you know, your student, then it's studying. If it's a, a parent, it's you know, caring for your family or whatever it is. You know, if, if what you're doing is taking you away from the things that you know you're supposed to be doing, that can become an idol. We talk about gaming. Okay, I'm going to hit that gaming. You know, is gaming an idol? Okay, well, gaming can be fun. If you want to play games on your phone or whatever, I mean, it's there, it's fun. You say, okay, maybe it's enhancing your dexterity, whatever, you know. <laughs> whatever you want to do. But if gaming, you stay up all night gaming so that you can't study in the next day or you can't do your work the next day, if you're spending all time, you know, gaming that, that you're barely getting things done or you're always tired or you're always stressed out and it's, it's, it's really infringing on the things that, that you know you're supposed to be getting done and you're not getting it done, then it's becoming an idol. It's becoming an idol. And, 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 you gotta, and it's something that really does need to, to, you need to say, hey, you don't just say, oh, yeah, I stayed up really late at night, ha, ha, ha. No, this is, this is really serious. And it's something that we need to, again, be very careful of. A uh, fourth thing, uh, it awakens a sense of pride. Okay, you got something nice and you say, um, oh, God gave me this great car. I'm, it's great, you know, I could afford the, my, the car of my dreams. And it's not bad to have that. But if you're driving down the street and you go, <laughs> you're driving a little, <laughs> look what I got, you know, and things like that. And there's pride in your heart and you think I'm better because I got a nice car. You think of image. Okay, God wants us to look nice, I guess, you know. It's like, doesn't want us to walk around looking like slobs, you know. So it's, we can go buy stuff and wear nice clothes. That's no problem. But if you're walking down school and you're wearing nice clothes and you're looking at somebody else going, I can't believe how they dress. Oh, my gosh. How can they do that? It's so simple. They just, you just get something on sale and you can look like this. You can look like me, you know, whatever. That's, that's idolatry. 
that you're starting to take things that are okay and they're fine if you like to look nice, you know, when you go to school, go to work, there's nothing wrong with looking nice. But if it, is, if it enhances and you begin to feel a sense of pride, you begin to look down on people, you start thinking, hey, I'm better than, I'm better than other people because I look good. Then that's, that's, that's an idol. Or it's becoming an idol. And finally, the fifth thing is, the Holy Spirit says it is. I mean, <laughs> this may be subjective, but you could sit around and say, you know, Pastor Harrison, I checked off all these things and I'm fine. You know, I could do this. I'm free. But if inside your heart, you're still trying to justify it and there's something inside your heart where the Holy Spirit is telling you, yeah, you know, this area in your life, why are you defending it so much? Why are you justifying it so much? Why do you have to keep telling your parents that that's why you're doing this or tell a pastor, you know, that's why you're doing this? Is it because the Holy Spirit is really working in your heart saying, you know, maybe you meet all the requirements, but, you know, it's still an idol. It's still too important to you. There's still something in your heart that's going, there's something wrong about this, and I can't, I don't know, I just feel bad. I mean, if, if, if somebody knew that this is how much time I spent on this, or if somebody knew that this is what I was doing, you know, I, I'd feel bad. I don't know why. That might be the Holy Spirit that's saying, as much as we justify stuff and as much as we think about, you know, our money, as much as we think about our, 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 our behavior, and our sexual behavior, or the things that we watch on TV, uh, the way that we use our phone, this, our success, or what we do at work, or our image, any of these things, and, and the Holy Spirit is saying to us, you know, there's something wrong. There's just something wrong. And that may be the Spirit really telling us that this is an area that we've got to be really careful of. That something good, a gift from God, it can actually be, become an idol. And so we look at this list of, we look at, uh, you know, the previous list of things, and we say, we look again at this, work, success, phones, our, you know, image, materialism, things that we own, sex, money. Okay, again, these are all things that are part of our lives. Every day we may interact with these things. And, and, and maybe the majority of the time is fine. We don't even think about it. But maybe there's one of them there. Or one element of one of those things there where God is saying, hey, um, something here is happening. Something here is happening. And this is an idol. This is a modern-day idol. Now, this leads us to the second element of Joshua's message, and that is to be the call to be decisive about idolatry, to destroy it completely. In verse 14, it says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers had served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell but as for me and my house we will serve the Lord now what's surprising about this is at the moment that Joshua is speaking this the Israelites still had other gods in their midst otherwise he would have said just be careful not to you know have any of the gods no he says put away the other gods that your fathers serve 
It's like Joshua is recounting the faithfulness of God, the worthiness of God, and the Israelites are nodding and they're saying, Amen, Amen, uh, Joshua. And in their homes, they still have shrines and idols and remnants of pagan idolatry. Maybe they're holding one of their idols under their arms while they're saying Amen with the other hand. God's calling his people out, calling them out to be decisive. Don't just agree, make a decision and act. Do what it takes to completely rid yourself of other gods. God is a jealous, he says, God is a jealous God. When it comes to false gods, it's not both and, it's either or. On our wedding day, when you take your vows, you don't say to your your spouse, you don't say, I love you, I pledge my love to you and all my other girlfriends, or I pledge my love to you and all my other boyfriends. You don't do that. God says to his people, put away your idols. You choose, you choose right now whom you will serve. And Joshua says for himself, hey, I don't even have to weigh the pros and cons. I don't even have to go home and pray about it. I don't even have to think about whether or not this is God's will for my life. Why? Because some things are not just God's will for my life. They're just simply God's will. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There will be no other idols. When we come to identify the idolatry in this world and we think about our own vulnerability to that idolatry, God's word speaks very directly about what we should do. God's word talks about, first of all, nurture our relationship with God. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, meaning instead of offering yourself, uh, offering to idols, take your body and offer it to God as a sacrifice. He said, Deuteronomy 5, 9 says, I, the Lord, am a jealous God. Remind yourself that the God that you serve will have no other idols sharing his effect, sharing Uh, your affection. He demands complete and total, total affection, total loyalty. In in 2 Corinthians, it says, what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? Meaning, it's a recognition in my relationship with God that I understand that there is no possible way that the idol of success and God can exist in the same, same place and still honor God. It just can't work. God is not going to let that work. And it's not going to happen. And then finally, uh, in terms of relationship with God, it says, call, uh, on, on my holy day, call the Sabbath a delight. Uh, if you honor it uh, and not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I know this one is kind of unusual, but if we cannot take a Sabbath from certain things, then that may be an idol to us. If we can't take a Sabbath from work and really just enjoy the Lord, then work is becoming an idol. If we can't take a Sabbath from all of our entertainment and and all that other stuff and schoolwork or whatever else and just enjoy the time with God, then those things are idols. They're taking away our affection 
and the worship that is due to God. If we say, well, I can't go to church today because I got a, a, a test tomorrow. I, I can't spend time with God and my relationship with God because you know, the SATs are coming and, and I need to stay home and study. Well, you know, SATs are great and I hope you do really well on your SATs, but uh, if you can't take a break from your studies to be with God, then maybe studies are becoming an idol. And so the first thing is to nurture a relationship with God. The second thing is literally remove the idols. It's very, very simple, but very, very hard. When we start beginning to understand uh, what our idols are, what are the things that actually are taking up all our time. And, 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 and Ezekiel says, repent, turn away from your idols, turn your faces away from all your abominations. Repent just means just turn your back on it. Um, Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel 27 says, cast away the detestable things of his eyes. Don't defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. Just throw it out. In, in, in our household, Rita and I, you know, sometimes people give us gifts, and some of those gifts actually are idols. I think they're idols, okay? So we actually, we throw them away uh, after they leave. Uh, because sometimes, you know, they'll expect, you know, you, especially Asians, they'll give you like this, nice Buddha or whatever, it's an idol. And, it, you know, so it's like, you don't want to put it on your mantelpiece and like, oh, yeah, if they come over, they want to see it up there. But no, we don't want any of that. We don't worship it, but I mean, even if it's there, we don't want it. We cast it out, throw it out. So nobody here give us an idol because we're just going to throw it in, just going to go straight in the trash. Remove idols, deal completely and thoroughly with the things that, that you have struggled with. If you're sitting down and you're saying, you know what, this area is an idol to me, you, we have to turn our back on it. We really do. The third thing is remain watchful. Exodus 20 says, you shall not make for yourself an idol. This is a reminder that idols don't impose themselves on it because idols have no power. Idol is just a stone, a rock, a piece of wood for them. But they make it an idol. They are the ones that choose to make it an idol in their lives. They are the ones that choose to make it the master of their lives, some piece of wood, some piece of stone. They choose to make it an idol. In the same way, we must remain watchful because the idols in our world are not the things that press upon us you know, over and over again. They're the things that we choose to worship that we choose to give our lives to, to let control us and take away our worship of God. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 23 says, watch yourselves, be on guard, be watchful at all times. Look at that list and say, hey, you know, uh, yeah, success is never going to be a problem for me. No, be very watchful. If you say success is not going to be a problem for you, then be watchful of that one. And be very, very careful. Money's not a problem for me. Okay, maybe that's the one. Very, very watchful. Sexual temptation, that's not a problem for me. Maybe that's the one. Be watchful. Second, First Corinthians says, flee from idolatry. Run. If you're walking on a, uh, if you're, uh, you know, visiting Yosemite or whatever, and you're stepping out of your car, and in the distance, you see a giant grizzly bear 
you know, in the field kind of coming towards you, you don't stand there and go, oh, look at that, you know. That's so cute, you know. And you don't run towards it. You don't stand there and go, oh, you know, I'll wait till he gets about 10 feet away and then maybe I'll do something. Or I'm going to fight it. You know, I think I could take it on. It looks really small from here, but I'm not really sure how big it is, but I think I can take it on. No, I mean, you see it, if it's, if it's, a, if it's like 100 yards away, you run like crazy. Or you get in your car and run like, and, and go like crazy. Why? Because, you know, you're not going to sit there and fight it. Idolatry, when you think about idolatry, don't sit there and go, hey, that's so cute, you know. Oh, you know, it's really nice. I like it from a distance. I can get closer. It's no problem. I can take it on. I know. I know when to stop. No. If it's an idol, if you know that this is an area in our lives where we really are going to struggle, where Satan can really grab a hold of us, then you run. You run from it. The minute you see it, you turn your back on it and run from it. 1 Corinthians 5.11 says, Oops. I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brothers if he is an immoral person, covetous, or an idolater. Now, this does not mean, okay, we don't, we stay away from all, you know, people. What this means is be very careful when you begin to draw close to, to, to people or to things that are associated with idolatry, for it slips in very quickly and very easily. And we must be very, very careful. And if, if it has to be, do not associate. And so, so we think about these things, how serious they are. And remember, we must deal. The, the Word of God tells us very clearly how to deal with these things, how to identify with them, how to deal with them. And then in verse 16, it says, Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord. Oops. Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods, for it is the Lord God who brought our fathers up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us. And it says, the Lord drove out all the people, therefore we uh, will serve the Lord, for he is our God. And then Joshua says, great, that's wonderful, praise God. No, Joshua says, he says in verse 19, he says, you're not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive you for your transgressions and sins. And I thought, whoa, Joshua, that's pretty heavy. Why would you say that after everybody just pledged, you know, we're going to serve the Lord God with all our heart. It's kind of like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you could do it, but you can't, you know. My sister used to do that to us when we were little. She'd hold out a piece of candy go, hey, you want it? And we'd go, yeah, I just can't have it. She did it to my little sisters. It's really mean. But anyways, it's kind of like, you know, do you want it? You can't have it. That's Joshua, that's not what Joshua is doing. What Joshua is saying here, he's saying, hey, count the cost of what it means to serve God alone. You be witnesses together because you need help. Joshua says to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they say, we are witnesses. And he says, put away your foreign gods that are among you. Incline your ear to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve. And his voice, we will obey. And what, God, what, what um, 
Joshua is saying is that we need each other. We need help. It says, you are witnesses before God. You, plural. You, together, before God, in front of everyone else, all of you together, have heard what you have decided. What you have, whenever there's a wedding and there's a vow, and you're saying that vow in front of all these witnesses, that means you're asking all of these people to hold you accountable to be faithful to that vow. In the same way here, he's saying, you are witnesses. All this whole nation is a witness now that you have said that you will follow and serve God alone. And this whole nation now, all of us together, we're going to help each other to fulfill this vow, to fulfill this promise. And that again, as we think about church, as we think about living hope as a community, as we think about the, the, the idols that we all face together in this world, we need each other to help each other to say, you know, to, to when we see someone going down that wrong path or someone that, that, that looks like something good is turning bad, we say to them, hey, hey man, this is not good. This is not good. Don't do that. Or, or I want to, you know, let's talk about this. Let's, I'm, let's pray together. Or we say to others, hey, hold me accountable because I'm really struggling with this. And we don't just say, oh, ha, yeah, I struggle with that too. We say, no, together, as I, it, it's an idol. We're serious about it. We want to turn our back on it. We want to run from it. Let's run together. I run with you. And, and just like Daphne says, when your arms are too tired to fight, I'll hold your arms up for you. I'll hold your arms up for you. Because this is serious stuff. I don't want anyone, you say, I don't want any of my friends, I don't want any of my brothers and sisters to, to, to be enslaved uh, to, to the idolatry of this world and what it does to, to people and what it does to, 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 to the people around us. I don't, we don't want that. We'll hold each other up. We'll hold each other's arms up in this fight against idolatry. And so we look back again at these idols and we look at what God calls us to do and we pray and say, hey, what is God saying to us right now? Which of these things, as we, as we stand here and we think about it, which of these things um, right now are becoming a, an idol to us? What are the things that God is calling us to do? Is he, is he saying right now, hey, this is an idol. You need to remove that idol right now. Or is he saying, oh, you know, here's something that you're a little bit weak in. We need to remain watchful of that particular area of our lives and confess it to God and, and ask God to, to help us. Uh, we need to, to build on our relationship with God, to fill our, our lives with, with God's words so that, that when these things start uh, pressuring us, that I can begin to discern that, hey, this is becoming an idol. So let's go ahead and let's take some time. Let's close in prayer right now. And as you think about these things, you can pray with your eyes open if you want. You know, just look at these things and say, hey, God, is, is there anything here? Or maybe there's something else that's not on this list where God's saying, you know what? This is, this is generating some pride right now in our lives. This is taking us away from the duties that, 